Thank you. Let us turn to the word of God. The Holy Supper. This is the title of our message. Today's message comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Please rise for the reading of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let us ask God for illumination of our text. Our Lord and God, give us your spirit. Increase our capacity to listen and learn from your word. Increase our love for your gospel message. Bless our listeners. We ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Once again, good morning, everyone. It's good to be in God's presence this morning. Let us not forget that we come together each Sunday in faithfulness and trust that the Lord our God has called us to this assembly. And we trust that by putting forth his word that he will be honored, that he will be blessed. According to the scriptures, the word of God is his word, his eternal word, and that he will accomplish all that which he has written in this written word, that we, in, this, in this Bible that we have. And we trust that his word, no matter what, will not return unto him void, meaning that it will accomplish all that he pleases. Amen. Now, let me begin by introducing our message. By starting off with some background material. Now, a few weeks ago, in fact, I believe it was just last week, the title of our message was The Father's Love. Our topic was The Enormous Love of God for His People. I expressed that in Romans chapter 8, Verses 31 through 39. 
Paul describes some key aspects of the love of God. Because God deeply loves who? Who are who is us? Christians. Very good. He loves Christians. He loves all his creatures. Don't get me wrong. He does. He loves all his creatures. Matter of fact, the Bible is clear that God, he wills that all be saved. But the problem is, is that we have chosen in advance what we want most. And that is to disobey God. So he has no other choice but to give us what we want. Because Adam and Eve, our first parents, he did truly create them in righteousness and in his glory, after his image. So they had, a, they had the ability to choose life or death. And they chose what, children? Death. death. They chose death. That is, they chose to, they chose to be disobedient. They chose to transgress the laws of God. And so, because they chose that, we receive the consequences as well. Not only that, according to the scriptures, we are conceived and we are born, we are conceived and born in sin. So we continue to amass sins to ourselves as well. Now, I share that with you because I want to make it clear that Christians are saved sinners. It's that simple. Jesus came to save sinners. And those sinners that were saved by the grace of God, those sinners who receive it by faith, that is trusting in God, the faith that God has given them, are truly Christians. It's that simple. And so God has a special love for them because he has adopted them as children, as his children. And he has placed them into his, his special, special care. And he has poured out upon them the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit which even right now has gathered us and has gathered us and has drawn us into his presence. And which we call on him. That is, we call on God, the Lord God. That name, Lord, is a, is a name that describes his nature, which is a covenant God. He's a God of covenant. That is, he has promised us that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Amen? Now, I am going down a path which I go down often, but I, I'm sorry. I, and I, so I want to go, but I need to move on. Also, I try to support this with the following points. Let me back up. I express that in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, Paul describes some key aspects of our love, of the love of God. I, I said that. Because God deeply loves Christians. I also try to support this with the following points. Because God deeply loves Christians, God has rightly condemned all others. Because God deeply loves Christians, 
Jesus Christ has rightly judged us. Because God deeply loves Christians, Christians rightly love God. Now that I have covered last week's material, let us cover today's material. The title, as I stated earlier, is The Holy Supper. The Lord's Supper, a sacred institution for a unification, for the unification of the church of Jesus Christ. That is our topic. I propose that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, Paul describes the institution of the Lord's Supper because it is God's sacred institution. How can we fully understand all this? Well, we can start by looking at the following key points, beginning with point number one. Because the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution, God forbids or prohibits any profane use of the Lord's Supper. Point number two, because the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution, God has given the Lord's Supper to the church. Point number three, because the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution, Christians rightly administer the Lord's Supper. Now, I will speak more on this and I will try to unpack it. That is to explain it, to express it in a way that you can fully understand it as time goes on. This is the word of God. The author of this text is Paul. The office of Paul is that of an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That is, he is an anointed messenger of Jesus Christ. The theme of this letter, I believe, is that Paul states it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That grace and peace comes from knowing the truth. Knowing the truth. Not only knowing the truth, but doing the truth. And as Paul, and I'm in agreement with Paul, and that is the, that comes through the unification of the church body of Jesus Christ. The unification of the church body of Jesus Christ. That is, it comes through an active life whereby we seek to glorify God. That is, we seek to do His will, all His will. That His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. The genre of our text, it is a letter. The recipients, it is believed, Corinthians. Now, without further introduction, let us move into the message of God. Now, to point number one. If you remember, I said, because the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution, God forbids any profane use of the Lord's Supper. Now, let me explain. First of all, what I mean by the Lord's Supper. 
The Lord's Supper is known by many terms within the church community. And I discovered that the Lord's Supper is is spoken about and it's described as the Lord's Supper um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the same chapter that we're in. But oftentimes it is known as communion. Communion. And what I mean by communion, that is that it is set apart as a sacred, um, I cannot describe it, sacrament. Now, that term you're probably not familiar with, sacrament. Sacrament is a term that is taken from the Latin, Latin phrase. But basically, just think of sacrament. From that word, we get sacred. And that the, the, the sacraments, depending on, just giving you a little bit of background real quickly, it depends on the denominations, on how they look at it. For example, within the Reformed community, the sacraments are, are strictly the Lord's Supper and baptism. The Lord's Supper and baptism. So, right there, that should key you in to understanding that the sacrament in, within the Reformed community is a, is a, is a, a, a way of worshiping God which is, they believe, and, and I'm in agreement with them, I believe, has been given to the church as a means of grace. Say means of grace. Means of grace. So it acts as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a channel through which God pours out his grace upon the church, the public church especially. So this is what I'm this is what I'm trying to make clear to you that this is given to the church and is for Christians. Those who are confessing Christians. So it's those who have already confessed their sins before God, as those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's why you will see, especially within the Reformed community, they believe that baptism should belong to all, all children, all of God's children, especially those who are, not especially, but, but primarily and only to those who are confessing Christians, which oftentimes will be adults. But now, the, the confessing adults, of course, have what? They have children. Are you with me now? This is important to understand this. And so because they have children, because they have children, their children also are part of the confessing community of God. And therefore, they are deserving of baptism. And that's why, unlike Say, for example, a lot of non-denominational churches such as ours, uh, uh, well, not such as ours, but such as New Venture Christian Fellowship, you will find that they baptize only adults. Now, they're not the only one. There, there, there are many others. There are a lot of churches out there that believe only in 
adult baptism. And I'm, 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 I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And I just want to make that clear. I never would be the one to, to say which is right and which is wrong because I haven't yet fully come down on what is right or wrong. But I do believe that adult baptism is, 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 is biblical. We see that in the Bible, that it is biblical. And, but I believe also in, in, in what is called in the Reformed community, pedo baptism. That is baptism, baptism of, of the children. Because I am in agreement with the, 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 the ideal that, that the adults, that is the, 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 uh, the parents who are confessing, and it doesn't have to be a husband and wife, it could be just single parents, there's a lot of single parents as well, but that, that they're, they're, the, the confessing, the true confessing, believing, those who have been, who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they too, they, their children belong to the to what I believe is the promised community, the covenant community of God, and so they should be baptized. So now I'm, I'm I'm setting this all up for you to understand that these are are sacred institutions. These are sacred rights, even as you would say, a right that belongs to every believer. And now the Lord's Supper, which were, were uh, that was the baptism. The Lord's Supper is, is like baptism. It, too, is a sacred institution that is for believing Christians. And so that's why I say that the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution. It, it is from God. It is given to us, that is to the church, to the confessing, believing Church, it is given to us from God as a means of grace, as a channel through which God's grace is poured out upon the church. Amen? Amen. So now, naturally, God forbids any profane use of the Lord's Supper. Now, let's go to our text before I go further so you can see this. Now, our text happens to fall within 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, it was a letter written by Paul to a church that were filled with Jewish and non-Jewish converts. Those who have converted to the faith of Christianity. So these are Christians. It was written to Christians. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Over from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Well, let's, let's begin with verse 1. It, it reads, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Notice that it's by the will of God. Paul was called. And our brother. Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth. 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be what? Called to be what? Children? Holy. Read along. Verse 2. Read along. Verse 2, it says, those who are called to be holy. Now, notice that. Called. Notice those words. Those sanctified. Now, understand that sanctified in Christ Jesus, that comes, that, that, is, that is a term that describes the sanctification of those individuals who have been united with Christ. Now, sanctification, I haven't spoken much about and haven't taught you much about, but I'm here to tell you that sanctification, that is the eternal process of all sinners. It's a process in which the Holy Spirit gathers us and, in a real way, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, renews us into the fullness an image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to understand that. So this is why Paul is, is writing to them. Paul is writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this is the message to the church. And the Holy Spirit, is what the Holy Spirit is doing, he's, he's renewing the church. Their views on who God is and who Jesus Christ is and who they are in Christ Jesus. That's why he said, not outside, those sanctified outside of Christ Jesus, or those sanctified below Christ, or anything like that, is in Christ Jesus. And they are called to be what? Holy. Why are they called to be holy? They're called to be holy because God is holy. Because God is holy, we too must be what? Holy. holy. Say holy. holy. That is to be separate. We're separate from the world, which is what? Unholy. Let's not forget that. The world in which we live in, it's unholy. I don't know if you understand that. I don't know if you have realized that. In all its beauty and all its glory, it is unholy. It is unfit for God's full habitation. And that's why, too, it must be renewed. And all is creatures. It's all in a fallen state. So holiness, sanctification, sacred. These are terms that I'm using to describe what God is doing in our lives as Christians. These are the things that he's doing. Now, we oftentimes... We don't realize it, and we can't even all the time see it. But you know what? It's just like when you were children, when you were babies. When you were babies, when you were first born, you know, you were these cute and cuddly, just, I mean, just, you smell brand new. I mean, just, I mean, just gorgeous. That's the best way I can describe it. Words in time. I can't, I can't even gather all the words to describe how beautiful you are. And that's, that's probably just to, to me. <laughs> yeah. 
to someone else, you probably, you know, because I've seen some babies, I thought to myself, man, you know, that's that's ugly baby. I got to admit that. But, you know, that's my that's my opinion, right? Because, you know, you guys come out, you know, you do kind of, you know, you really, you know, for some, you just don't look all that pretty. But I share that with you because from that point on, you begin to change. You begin to change. And you grow up. And so you're a lot different than when you were a baby. And you don't even remember being a baby, do you? You don't remember all the times you threw up on daddy or threw up on mommy. All the times you did things that, I mean, were really kind of gross. Not kind of, but was. It was really gross. You don't remember all those things. You didn't know the process. You don't remember the process. Well, for, for many of us as Christians, that's what's happening too. We're, we're being changed from day to day. We're, we're growing from day to day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the ways that he grows us up is not only by, first of all, living within us. That's what the Bible describes as, as temples, the temple of God. He lives within us, so he's transforming us and he's changing us within, but he's eventually he's going to also transform us from with, on, on the outside as well. We're going to have bodies that are going to be, our new bodies are going to be like night and day compared to the way our bodies are right now. That's, all, that's the best way I can describe it. It's going to be so much different. Again, it's just like when you were a baby, you were tiny, small, now you're big. And many of you, many of us really big. Compared to when we were babies. Okay. So now it's the same way with what the Holy Spirit is doing with us inside. He's doing that inside of us. And he's creating us. And understand this. He's creating us after the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So a lot of the qualities that Jesus Christ had when he walked on the earth, we're going to have too. And one of those qualities is what? Sinless. Without sin. So sinlessness, we're going to be without sin. And so, but now, how do he, what does he use to do this? One of the ways he used um, to, um, to sanctify us, to change us, is through the word. The reading of the word of God. Through the hearing of the word of God. Through the preaching of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. So I hope you understand this is how all this is working. This is a process. And another way that he does this is through the means of grace or the what? The sacraments. The sacraments. The sacraments. Again, and these sacraments are spelled out and spoken about in scripture. And now, so, a profane use of the sacraments would be this. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians, an example. Paul gives us an example right over here. Chapter 11. Let us look at verse 27. Therefore, say therefore, 
Whoever eats the bread <clears throat> or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Notice that. You'll be guilty. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on itself. Now, <clears throat> I share this with you because in some churches, they do what is called fencing the table. Meaning they won't allow you to take the Lord's Supper until after you've been examined by them. Examine to find out if you are truly a confessing Christian. Christian, Because if you're not a truly confessing Christian, guess what? You can't take the Lord's Supper. They don't want you to drink. They don't want you to eat the Lord's Supper and drink of the Lord's Cup, which I'm going to explain a little bit early, later on. I have to go back and explain it to you. I'll explain it to you later on. They don't want you to do that because you are, you are doing that to your detriment. Meaning that you are you are. Putting yourself in the position in which your judgment will be even greater for not adhering to the to the the ideal that the Lord's Supper is a sacred institution and that it must be taken seriously. As a matter of fact, there has been times, and you know, people who are with me, you know. The Lord's Supper would come by and I would just pass. I wouldn't I would not take it because I, I read this scripture way long, long time ago. And I would not take the Lord's Supper because there were things in my heart. There were things in my mind. There were things that I had not yet fully come to grips with. And I, I, I you know, I knew, you know what? Uh, no, not today. I'm not taking the Lord's Supper because until I feel in my heart and I'm, I'm positively sure that I'm right with God. So this is, is that serious. This is how you should be taking it. Don't take the Lord's Supper, which I'm going to describe here later on. Don't take it unless you know for sure that you believe in Christ Jesus. And that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Not only just the Savior of the whole world, that is all those whom he has saved, but it is your Savior. He's your Savior. And that you believe. Because you're going to have to answer for all that you do in this life one day. Including taking the Lord's Supper. Or Participating in any of the sacraments which I spoke about, being up under the preaching and the word of God, hearing the word of God, believing, trusting, or whatever, all that is all part of the part of the the process of what God is doing in this world to renew this world, to fully cleanse this world of all sin, of all sin, of all unrighteousness. Amen. Now, point number two. I think point number one has been clearly stated and that is that the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution and that God forbids any profane use of the Lord's Supper again that is that you must come with a, a, a penitent heart you must come in the full knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ you must come fully fully repentant that is you have confessed your sins and you trust that Jesus Christ is your only salvation to God Almighty. Amen? Point number two. Because the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution, God encourages the sacred use of the Lord's Supper. 
He encourages the sacred use of the Lord's Supper. Let's go to, to Scripture again. Over at um, verse First Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go to verse 19. Well, let's go to verse 17. And the following directives, I have no praise for you. So basically, Paul is setting up right now. He's, he's, he's rebuking them. He's, listen, he's, he's giving them a lecture. <laughs> All the time like that, he gives you lectures. When you do things wrong, those lectures that you love hearing, right? <laughs> children, I'm speaking to children. You love hearing when, 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 when your father lectures you, right? Or your mother lectures you about whatever, right? Whatever you've done wrong, some things that you should have known about. Paul is doing the same thing here. That's why he says, you know what? I have no praise for you. you know, he's basically saying, you know what? You messed up. Why? For your meetings do not, for your meetings do more harm than good. He's, Paul is saying, you know what? Every time you guys come together, you come to meet on this special occasion, and this special occasion is, is, is pertaining to the Lord's Supper. He's saying this. You're doing more harm than good. That's what I want. When we get to a place, when we start fully taking the Lord's Supper, and we're not at that place yet, but when we do, when we get to this place, we've got to understand that it has to be done properly. Because if it's not done properly, guess what? We're not, we're not, we're, we're, we're not honoring God. Matter of fact, we're bringing disrepute to his name. And listen, children, and I'm speaking to children again, and, and, not, and not only children, but adults as well. We don't want to dishonor God. We don't want to, listen, we don't want to live a life that dishonors God. So we have to be careful how we live. We have to be careful how we conduct ourselves, especially not only amongst each other, but also especially before the public. The, 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 you know, one of the things I learned earlier on in my, in my walk with God, and that is that, listen, unbelievers are watching you closely. And if you confess in Christ and you, you, you're saying that you're a Christian, and, but yet you're not walking in a, in a way that is worthy in a way that honors God. Listen, they will be the first ones to tell you oftentimes. They'll let you know in a minute. I've been called hypocrite. I've been called all kinds of names. Because I was doing things that was clearly outside of the will of God. I didn't know it at the time. But you know what? It's those individuals who were not Christians who were the first ones to tell me. And you know, we live in a day like that. where We live in a day where oftentimes... There's no discipline in the churches. Church members are doing things that are not that, 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 that is not honorable of the name which they have received, which is Christian. And but the church is not doing anything about it. And it's sad. It's very sad. But I'm not here to discuss that right now. But anyways, he says, he goes on. Paul is not like that. Paul is not like that. Paul lets you know in a minute. That's why he said, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you 
to show which of you have God's approval. So Paul is saying, you know what, that's, you know, it's, 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 it's natural for believers and unbelievers to be within the church. It's natural because that's what separates and that's what makes it clear of those who are, who are true confessing Christian and those who are not. And he said, yeah, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is true. Now, verse 20, when you come together, is not the Lord's supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. So they're going out of order. They're going out of order and taking the Lord's Supper. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. They get drunk taking the Lord's Supper. Because back then when they took Lord's Supper, unlike many churches where they just drink regular grape juice or whatever. And I, you know, I always wonder how they get all the juice in those little thimble-sized cups. Have you... You, you ever been to a church and they have, they serve in the Lord's Supper and they have thimble sized cups? I wonder who pours those. But, anyways, some churches, they serve actual wine. And, and back then, that's what they were served wine. It was wine. It was, you know. So, you know, they were drinking the wine and they were getting drunk. It, you know. <laughs> what do you think? Is that right? Is that right for them to be getting drunk like that? No. 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 And Paul's let them know. You know, he said, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? He loves Paul. Paul, I like Paul. I love Paul. The way he wrote. He said, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? You have your home. If you go, first of all, being drunk is not, first of all, you, should, you know, Bible is against that. I'm going to tell you right now, being drunk. It's okay to be drunk on the spirit, but not drunk on wine. So, you know, Paul's not approving of even of being drunk. You know, that's why he's not saying, you know, you know. He just he's just letting them know, but he's not dealing with that issue because they're doing it in, in in church in the public worship setting. Or do you despise the church? Look at that. You're doing this, and he's basically saying, he's saying, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? He's basically that's a rhetorical question, which is the answer is yes, they do. Or or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who are who have nothing? That is those who are coming to into your midst. For the first time, hearing the gospel, those who are coming to your midst, who don't know God, who are seeking to know God amongst you. Don't you have any consideration for them? Are you even thinking about any other? Are you thinking about those who 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 need to hear the gospel and who God is wants to save? Aren't you even thinking about them? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Yeah, I'll praise you for that. Is that what Paul said? No. He said, certainly not. Certainly not. So the implication of our text is that the Lord's Supper is for the penitent Christian. It's for those. Listen. Listen. It is for those who are fully aware that as Christians, we are set apart from the world to be lights, to be a light in darkness. We're, we're set apart to be right before God as, a, as an example, as a, as, a, as, as a reflection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, we're going we got to sin, we're going to do things, but you know, the point is, is that we don't. Once we, we've sinned, we what? 
we confess, and we turn away from our sins. And so this is why we need to be careful when we take in the Lord's Supper. The Supper is given to us. And this is, this is the good news. The Supper has been given to us to, 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 for, to, to not only believe that, that God is good, but to also what? Receive. To taste that he is good. Listen, the bread, the bread, it says in verse 23, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. That was real bread that he took. Now, the bread, oftentimes back then, was round, oval, probably about a thumb width and thickness. That's what scholars believe. You know, in many churches, they come in all different forms, all different shapes. I've seen... Lord Supper passed around with bread about that size, uh, uh, size of a tic tac. I don't know how they do it. I don't know who cut, who's cutting all that bread. But anyways, you know, you partake of it. It all depends on the on the on the denomination what you part on you, you're you're, uh, you're part of. Like I, when I was younger, I was part of a Catholic church, and we had what they call wafers, and it tastes like it was it was unleavened and there was circle size about the size of a half a dollar. And you have to come up and you stick out your tongue and the, the messenger or the, uh, the, the priest, he'll put it on your tongue and it will instantly melt. And, you know, you kind of turn around and you go back to your seat or whatever. So it all depends on the church. Um, you know, but personally, I think the bread that, that, that uh, Paul is talking about here, it was the kind of bread that before it got to you, you were, you were salivating. You know, I didn't look forward to eating those little wafer uh, look size of half a dollar. I, I I wasn't looking forward to eating those. I gotta admit. But these kind of these kind of, of bread, this kind of bread that they that that Paul is talking about, it was thick. It was the kind that before you got, you know, it was that good bread. Okay, most likely. Now, so um, anyways, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and and this is what is part of the supper. Remember, it's part of the supper. We're talking about the Lord's supper. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my." What? Body. Body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take of the bread. And when we take of the bread, we're, we're, we're thinking about, we should be thinking about how good it is, how tasty it is, how we should be thinking about, you know what? Man, I haven't had nothing to eat and this is a good time to eat. Should we be thinking like that? No, no. We should be thinking about the Lord's sacrifice, his suffering. We should be thinking about his, his being punished for. He was punished because we were deserving of the punishment. He took our punishment. He was beaten. He was smitten. His body was broken. He was bruised beyond recognition. The, you know, when you start thinking about these, these images start going through your mind. You should be thinking, you know what? Oh, man. I deserve that. My my Lord took the punishment which I deserved. And it should, those images should be coming through your mind and it should increase in you the love for God. Take and eat. When we take and eat of the Lord's Supper, is that actually his body or the bread? Is that actually his body? Some churches believe that. Catholic churches, they believe that. that. That actually turns into his body. So you actually really each, I mean, it's called transubstantiation. Is you actually, his body turns into 
That's what it turns into. Well, I'm of the belief that it's not, it doesn't actually turn into his body. But I am of the belief that the Holy Spirit, he gathers you in that moment. And he actually blesses you and he ushers you into the presence of the Lord our God. And he, he, he begins to, again, change and peel back all the sinfulness within you. And, and actually, for the, he gives you a taste, a taste of what the Lord really is. Who the Lord really is. And that's what we should be thinking about when we're taking the Lord's Supper. Amen? It's the same way with the blood. And I want to go, at, I mean, the, not the blood, but the wine, the cup. That's why I know Paul says, and, and, and in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and I believe it was one of those big, huge cups. I believe it was filled with wine, you know, but not to a point where, you know, Lord, you know, where you're getting drunk, because you don't shoot. But, but what, what it represents is that. His blood, listen, listen, is sufficient enough to save all whom God has chosen in Christ Jesus to save. It's sufficient enough. It's enough for, for all those who believe. Do you understand that? So when you, when you drink, when you drink, you know, you're thinking about, man, my Lord, listen. The Bible is clear. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So this, this cup, it represented God's promise. It was a new covenant. That's why he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. See, back, Jesus understood that, you know what, covenants were, were cut and were, were, were done according to this, you know, there were certain ways of doing it. And, and one of the ways of doing it was by the blood. And that's why even in the Old Testament, it was a bloody business the Israelites was part of. Sacrifices. Taking the blood and, you know, and, you know, splattering and all that. You know, and, you know, because it represents life. Well, so now we have a new life. And that is in Christ Jesus. That's what you should start be thinking. When you're, thinking that when you're taking this cup, you're thinking about, first of all, the shed blood of our Jesus Christ. I mean, that he gave his life so that we may have what? Life. life. His death, right? First of all, broken bread is our death, and now, and now we the covenant. You know, this new promise is the promise of God. That guess what? All of our sins are forgiven. Amen. Final point, point number three: The Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution. Penitent Christians rightly administer the Lord's Supper. Listen. Penitent Christians, those who have taken of the Lord's Supper, those who have tasted and, and fully for the first time or whatever, whatever time it may be in your life, believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin. And that in Christ you have received forgiveness of your sin. We rightly administer it. So we make sure, you know what? First of all, it's enough for everybody to partake of. It's enough bread. It's enough wine. Not only that, we make sure that everyone understands what, what, what we're involved in. And that that we bring honor to God when we, we partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying it's a certain way that you have to do it, but it does have, I think I am positively sure it's clear in Scripture on how it should be done. That we confess our sins before the participation of the Lord's Supper. Out of a renewed heart, we should be doing these things. 
Listen, we have the spirit within us that will lead us and guide us. And he's, this is what he's leading us and guiding us to. That we should be confessing our We have, should have confessed our sins. And as born again believers, we forbid the improper use of the Lord's Supper. That means we don't allow just anybody and everybody who comes in within our midst to be taken of the Lord's Supper. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Do you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? No, I'm not sure yet, but I'm thinking about it. Well, then this is not for you. This is not this Lord's Supper is not for you. This is only for those who are confessing believers. And stand on that. Stand on what's right. Amen. Are you with me? Born again, believers encourage frequent participation in the Lord's Supper. I, personally, I think we should be doing it every Sunday. Some churches do it once a month. Some churches only do it once a year. Some churches don't even do it at all. But I think we should be doing it as often as possible because it is a means of grace. I mean, it's a channel through which God blesses us. Don't you want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. I don't know about you, but I love being blessed by our Lord. And this is a real way of being blessed. Not only physically, but also spiritually. We actually get an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Now, let us close. Let us keep in mind the following key points. Remember that according to point number one, because the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution, God forbids any profane use of the Lord's Supper. That means, listen, it has to be done according to the word of God. It has to be done in a manner in which he has laid out and has, has stated fully within the scriptures. And let us not forget point number two. Because the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution, God encourages the sacred use of the Lord's Supper. That is, that, listen... It is a blessing for us to partake of the Lord's Supper. So we should be doing it. Amen. We should we receive of his blessings, his eternal blessings, not only spiritually, but also physically. For the first time, we really get an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is truly good. Amen. Because the Lord's Supper is God's sacred institution. Christians rightly administer the Lord's Supper. It is our responsibility to make sure that it's done and it's done properly, that it's done regularly. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for increasing our knowledge and love for you. Our Lord and God, thank you for enlightening us with this marvelous message from your written word. Bless our listeners. We ask and we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please rise for the doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you and strengthen you, according to the divine revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to the mystery that was kept secret for a very long time, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be honor, be glory, both dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Please hug one another and enjoy the rest of the day.